0: Hey, everybody, it's Joe Trippi, and welcome back to That Trippy Show. Well, it's after Labor Day and all the naysayers who thought democratic momentum was a mirage. More good polls, more good economic news, and more infighting and chaos on the other side. I said, and our guest said way back uh, in March, that we'd rather be
1: us than them. I'd rather be us than them. Well, well hang on. Yeah, obviously we'd rather be but But you're talking about from a like electoral victory chances perspective, right? Yeah, absolutely.
2: Uh both, actually. Right. It's both electoral victory and also <laughs> yeah. in terms of what we believe and what we're fighting for. That was the that was the power of that raising. Yeah.
0: That voice you hear is <laughs> Simon Rosenberg, our guest today. <laughs> By now, he was one of the first to say that Democratic momentum was real. Uh I mean since last October on this podcast, I think. And he's Continue to spread that world, and we're in a, in a lot of ways. I think responsible, along with Greg Sargent, our show, and a few others, for really changing the narrative to get people focused on reality and what's really going on out there with the numbers and the decoupling from from this being a the usual presidential approval referendum election to a real choice. And so, look, we we thought as we entered into the you know post Labor Day, that final weeks here. Uh, with the two months to go, Alex and I both thought that, given where Simon's uh, perspective has been ahead of everybody throughout this cycle, where do we stand now? And uh, Simon, welcome back.
2: It's great to be back, Joe, and it's been very fun our engagement over this last year. Uh, <laughs> and I really credit you uh, for, you know, being, you know, just following the data, right? I mean, all we really did together was follow the data about this election, not bringing preconceptions or things that have happened before. You know, we just followed the data. And uh, what it showed us is that this was going to be a competitive election. And that's where we are.
1: So, Simon, you can probably you can probably hear it in Simon's voice. We were talking about in the pre-show. Simon, you sound a little hoarse because you keep making this point on, on every show. It seems like you're getting, getting picked I, up. But I, I, I wanted to ask: since your last appearance with us, we've had a couple more special election wins, obviously pretty big yeah. ones. And you know, we were talking yeah, about New York and
0: Alaska. Yeah. It,
1: talking about it, uh, some more trends are emerging. We can we can get into what our friend Ron Brownstein said, Joe. We should really have him back on soon. But what are you seeing right now, Simon, in terms of some of the the trends that everyone should be aware of?
2: Yeah, I, I think you know it's my analysis that even before Roe ended, that the election was was competitive and there never was a red wave. Joe called it the red mirage. I think was accurate. But that the election was competitive even back in May, and I and I wrote a piece uh, looking at the data, you know, over May and June before Roe. I argued that there was no red wave; it was a competitive election, and also that the because of the ending of Roe and January 6th committee, you know, findings and other things, that it was likely that the election landscape was going to get worse for Republicans. And I think that's what's happened. I mean, I I think this was a competitive election where things have shifted. Three to four points. It wasn't a wave election that, that, and that became competitive, and that matters because I think what you're seeing in the data is that the Republicans are really underperforming everywhere, and you know there are there are almost. DeSantis is the only major candidate that has hit 50 uh, more than once. Almost, n- almost none of their major candidates are anywhere near 50. Many of them are in the low 40s and mid 40s, which signals that their coalition, they're struggling to pull their coalition together. <clears throat> and remember, they only got 46% of the vote in the last three elections. So if there's any erosion in their coalition, that's a big problem. And I think that there is some evidence that, you know, regular old Republicans are struggling to get behind MAGA candidates and, and a, MAGA, a MAGA-led party. And that's why you see Marco Rubio in the mid-40s mid, 50, mid 40s, and Bud now, in three consecutive polls in North Carolina, has been at 41-42. JD Vance and Ron Johnson and and um, Masters in Arizona are closer to 40 than they are to 45. And so, and we know they're having money problems. And as Joe mentioned, there's unprecedented infighting that we're seeing. And I think really significantly, that's not gotten nearly enough attention, is there is a much more active group of Republicans telling Republicans not to vote Republican that I think is well understood. Joe has obviously worked with the Lincoln Project, which has been part of that constellation of leaders and organizations. But you know, Bill Kristol has an organization that's spending ten million dollars, telling Republicans by other Republicans not to vote Republican. Right? You know, you're seeing Liz Cheney is going to campaign with Democrats. And the significance of this is that if they only got 46 percent in the last three elections on average, and and you know those Republican efforts can knock off a point or two from that, because again, push Republicans, regular Republicans either not to vote or to vote Democrat, the Republican coalition, they're gonna really struggle. And I think there's some evidence that that's what's happening at least right now, that you know this is pretty late for their candidates to still be at 42, 41, 43 in the cycle. And I think that part of what's happening is there's a MAGA hangover, as I call it, right? And where there's just a resistance, but there's also a really intense effort By Republicans to prevent MAGA from winning. And I think that's going to become very much more consequential down the line. And it's frankly a bigger issue than people understand. So, where are things? I think the election's leaning a little down. I think it's, I'm not saying there's a Democratic wave, but certainly, you know, we've overperformed in every special election in Kansas. We know the registration numbers are trending our direction. We know this from Tom Bonnier's analysis. And so I would rather be us than them and I think that if anything were to happen in the next 2 months it's far more likely that the landscape is going to improve for us than it is for them. I just don't know how they can create any kind of positive national news or energy right now given that Trump's malevolence and his illegality and all and his betrayal of the country is likely to be the major driving story for the Republican Party through the end of the through the end of the election. Whereas we're going to be able to talk about all our accomplishments, which many of which people don't know about. So as Joe knows, and I'd like to get Joe's reaction to this, I mean, part of what advertising does in a campaign is it gives people information they don't already have. And the information, they already know inflation is too high. They know that cities burned last year. All these things are already baked into the cake. The biggest piece of information that voters don't have is that Joe Biden's been a really good president and things have gotten better in the country. And and that's information we can give to voters. And I think if we give that information to voters in the next two months, we can see our numbers go up another point or two, which makes it far more likely that we win the election. So I'm I'm very optimistic, actually, uh, at my core.
0: I, I think you know two things. Like, reacting to that, Simon is you know as I've said on the show before, they keep doing the crazy, we keep doing the work. Yeah. I think both of those things are likely to be, as you point out, become clear. I mean, the work that Biden. And Democrats have done to take on inflation, all, all the different things. You have two months now, of pretty solid getting results for people uh, while the, the crazies got crazier. I think both those things are going to continue to happen. And by the way, it, it's not just the ads, but people do know that gas prices have been going down. Yes, yeah. yes, they're up. They have been up, but they get, you know, for like what almost uh, for two months now, they've been going down daily. People know that. So to to then with the be able to punch out with what Biden accomplished again things like you know Medicare being to negotiate for lower drug prices that the Republicans you know oppose all these different things I think are going to become help on the on the pro democracy side while yeah. as you point out the you know Trump is going to be front and center not just on what's going on. With the investigations, with Bannon being indicted today, arrested, I guess today, uh, as we talk, and and all that, like like I said, two thousand twenty-one, with Virginia and New Jersey, they could they could let him roll around in forty-eight other states and and avoid him. He's going to be out there. He's already been to Pennsylvania campaigning for Doctor Oz and Mastriano. Uh, I mean, it's he's going to be out there there front and center. So that. But you know what? I, I just want to talk about the punditry for a second here because, you know, first, there was no way it's going to be a wave election. Democrats are going to wipe out. They're going to lose the, uh, their, their majority in the Senate, uh, their slim majority in the Senate, and the House is gone. Now it's, wow, they may gain seats in the Senate and the House is, it's, they're not going to have a shot there. It'll be close, but they're probably going to lose it. What I don't get about that I mean, just, okay, you're a pundit now, right? And you know that Democrats are ahead in Senate races, not in, I get in the House, you got, you know, districts that have been drawn to, that are safe on both sides, of course. Uh, But, you know, Pennsylvania is not a safe Senate seat for anybody. Ohio certainly isn't. Arizona shouldn't be. Georgia shouldn't be. These are not safe cities. These are battleground Senate states, I mean and democrats are ahead in all of them even ohio so if that's going on there why the hell would be with the 32 quote toss up seats which are not a safe red ruby red drawn district or a ruby red ruby blue you know bright blue democratic district uh why why would anybody be thinking that those 32 districts Are really going to be just toss-ups and go the way they do in all midterms, where with a referendum on the president, you know, move against the 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 Democratic Party right now. That I just think it's crazy to not to see. Wait a minute, there's certain, critically, some something has decoupled in this choice between the crazy MAGA and and the get it done Democrats, and. Uh, and it's affected and impacted all these Senate races, and folks, I know it won't impact, a, you know, the the bright red Republican House districts or the blue ones that are going to vote, you know, that are solidly drawn uh, for Democrats to win. But these toss-ups are just like these states; they're not Joe, done to Joe, races.
2: I, Joe, I have been raising this in every interview and in every public commentary that I do that. It's the same election, same dynamics, right? It's yeah. Not, it's not like there's the election in the Senate is happening in some other country, and then there's this other country over here where this other election's happening. It's the same election, and yeah. this commentary has been—I I mean, I have been chipping away and hit, hitting this as hard as I possibly can for a while, and and I and I—it is almost—it is almost comical, right? I mean, if you really think about it, the way you're. Describing it is that it's comical that we got to a place where people could have thought, well, the Senate is different than the House. What are you talking about? Yeah. Right. I mean, as you point out, many of these swing districts are in the same states as yeah. <laughs> these other thing- where the where the Democrats are are overperforming. And so, look, if you go to my website, nndn.org, I have a an analysis of the election that I has got all my thinking in it, and I just updated it. It's a live document, and I put new numbers in every morning. But I go through there and I show that in the House, you can go to 538. There are recent seven incumbent Republican districts, public polling in them, and in all seven, the Republican candidates are, are grossly underperforming. And Joe, if we were looking at these races, we would say historically... If you're 39 and you're an incumbent, right, you yep. lose, right? And so they're in real trouble in a bunch of their districts and, you know, by based on public data. And again, it's the same underperformance that we're seeing in the governor's races, too. I mean, Abbott is under 50. Yeah, DeSantis, the highest number DeSantis has hit in any poll is 50. Um, in, uh, you know, we just saw in Indiana, the incumbent senator there was only at 45. And so uh, there is this hangover, as I tried to describe it earlier, or the Republican coalition is just not there yet. It doesn't mean it doesn't come together. It doesn't mean that they don't end strong and that they're. But I don't think if they haven't come together now, I'm not really sure what's going to bring them to the table. And so I do think what I tell everyone, I think the House is competitive, and Joe, as you know, because you've been doing this longer than I have, is that. When it's competitive, anything can happen. I mean, candidates yeah. can stumble. I mean, they can make bad decisions on ads, they can have a scandal. But this thing, the important thing for your listeners to realize is that this is a very competitive election. We certainly can win both chambers. There's no question about that. And and I think that it's gonna what's really important is that for all of you, you know, whatever money you're gonna give or phone calls you're gonna make or doors you're gonna knock on, you know, you gotta make sure you do it. As Joe keeps saying, we gotta we're doing the work, and they're doing the crazy. You know, we can win the house, but we've got to. It's going to take all of us working together to get it done. And and you know, even if you don't live in a swing district, you can make phone calls into those districts now with new technology. You can actually help you know turn out the vote, Democratic vote, and all those in pick a district, pick two districts. In the last two weeks, you can make calls into those districts. It would really matter in these House races. So I'm optimistic about where we are. And as I go back to what I think, I go back to this fundamental point, Joe, that, you know, what information could voters get that could change the election, right? I mean, they know, and I think we're probably going to get more information about their malevolence that's going to continue to sort of echo, which is very bad for them because it keeps the ugliness of MAGA front and center. Yep. On voters. But the other thing as I go back to is that with inflation coming down, gas prices coming down, and gas prices were the big psychological piece of this, right? This was the thing yeah, people were seeing when they were driving think, around. But... And and what it's done is that it's given Joe Biden an opportunity to reintroduce his presidency, and to be able to say to folks, "Okay, okay, like I know you were freaking out about gas prices that come down. Let me, while you've been worried about that, let me explain to you what we, what's going on." Yeah. Right? And 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 so I'm optimistic that even if they do it if joe biden and our ads are even mediocre right even if we don't do it really well and we don't figure out the exact right language the chance of us moving a point or two up because things are actually better workers are actually better off the country is in far better shape today than it was 2 years ago these things are all true and so we can make this argument that will then give us that little extra boost we need to to actually turn a competitive election into a lean democratic election and and i think that's our opportunity now we have to view this moment as a moment of opportunity and what i think is really important and i know this from talking to the two party committees is that they're now going on offense i mean when we yeah. were talking in every other interview you and i have done the party committees were on defense they were just trying to hold what they have that's not true anymore they're trying to pick up seats and and that as you know that's a big psychological yeah. shift that's happened and it's far more Satisfying uh, to be on offense and playing defense. It's you, you. I think you perform better in the business. And I have an old line that if you're not on offense, you're losing in politics. And so um, I, I really feel good about where we are right now.
0: Yeah, I do too. It's one of the things that uh, you know has happened and uh, over the last two months, as gas prices went down, have got started to go down and continued uh, day after day to go down. The one thing that went up over that same period actually. Uh, over the last few weeks, it, it is Biden's approval rating. He 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 yeah. was, you know, 538's approval tracker had him a few you know weeks ago at um, 38 to 57, 38 approved, 57 disapproved. He's now at 44, 52. You know, uh, it's still underwater, don't get me wrong, but an improvement over 10%, 10 points of improving. That's a lot. Yeah. And again, so I think people already said, you know, like you said, that, the gas price thing psychologically you see it every day when you, you go to the pump they people don't need to be told it's going down they know it they can see it uh at the same time they they also i think are going to hear more about why joe biden and the and democrats took took the right actions while republicans oppose them to keep you know on trying to keep prices down so i, I think all that's going to going to play out but the, the i get back to the way i started this part of the of this you know in the five thirty-eight light model, uh they they model that Dems have a sixty-one percent chance of keeping the Senate. And then again in this other world, 39% chance of keeping the House. Now, I, I don't know if keeping the House is the same chance that we have of, of uh keeping the Senate, but it's not. It just it's not. These districts, the districts that are as you point out, the the incumbent Republicans who are really in trouble seven of them you know where their numbers are deeply signaling big big trouble and these toss-up the 32 toss-up districts that that cook and and everybody you know lays out those are those are much more like these senate race battlegrounds and i think there's you know i put our shot you know i think the house is 50 50 chance of us holding it i mean you know we could but it's not it's not 39 that's crazy
2: well, and, and another way to, to think about it, right, another way that I try to think about this is that it's the Republicans don't have a bad candidate problem. They have a bad party problem. Yeah. Right? They're bad. The whole thing. The whole thing is rotten, right? They they have no agenda. There's no olive branch to swing voters. You know, they tried to overthrow the government and last year. They've now committed the, – their leader has now committed the greatest national security breach in the history of America you know they uh, they you know Rick Scott has stolen money from the NRSC they've run out of money right like wherever you look it's just ugly in every way and this idea that McConnell was able to sort of do what McConnell does which is parse this down to a bad candidate problem it's not a bad candidate problem i mean every one of these districts in the house we have more material to to define Republicans is out of the mainstream than we've ever had in any race that you and I have ever been part of, because they're more out of the mainstream than they've ever been. And so, you know, we have the tools in every one of these races uh, to define them as being, you know, out of the mainstream and unacceptable to voters who have already, in many cases, voted against MAGA twice. And, And so, this isn't a really hard argument to make. And that's why I think that if I were advising the Democratic Party, the thing that we have to strategically focus on now is closing the gap on the economy.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, you know, we shouldn't be losing to Republicans on the economy. I mean, our you know our last three Democratic presidents have done the economy's done really well. Last three Republicans presidents, we've had recessions. Ninety-six um, percent of all jobs created in America since nineteen eighty-nine have happened under Democratic presidents, and <laughs> we shouldn't be losing the economic argument. And my fear. If we end up under, if we don't do what we hope we do this cycle, and we after election day, I think it's going to be because we didn't close the gap on the economy. Which, for as Ron Brownstein writes today, there are a lot of Democratic voters that choice and MAGA is really the driving thing. But there are a lot of other voters where the economic issues, people who tend to be a little bit less well off, these economic yeah. issues have been far more important, and we need to speak to them. Um, like for and, a lot and, of
0: them, I, yeah, yeah, no, but for a lot of voters, it is still the economy stupid. It always is, and uh, yeah, always uh, is. and we've done a great job. I mean, the the jobs yeah. reports. I mean, the the you know, look, this has to be the most disruptive two or three years in this country. I mean, because of COVID, or a whole lot, a host of reasons, you know, and to have come out with the recovery that we've come out with, the jobs recovery that's happened, uh, wages going up. Um, yes, uh, we were hit. Part of that was hit with inflation. But, the, you know, again, the only party doing anything to try to uh, get prices uh, to go get lower and fuel prices and everything, you know, everything. Drug prices lower. Democrats, Republicans know on everything. Uh, in fact, now they depending on on whether McConnell or Scott, uh, you know, they also want to sunset you know, Social Security and Med- Medicare. So, I mean, it's like, there's absolutely nothing that they have to run on, as you pointed out. And at the same time, I think, look, what 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 Joe Biden's leadership and what Democrats have been doing with a handful of Republicans from time to time uh, over the last few months in particular has really made a difference in people's lives. I mean, before, not just the last two months, but the last two months, I think in particular on inflation and other things, uh, tons of stuff that they've done and over, you know, and and then just leading us out of the mess that we were in, you know, it's not all going to go, you know, you're not going to just flip a light switch and everything's going to start up on the economy lights on. They did in a lot of ways with jobs and everything else, but we did, you know, we, I think the inflationary forces that, that are impacting a lot of the, you know, it's the economy, stupid voters, and they're right to be you know, upset about that. Those are going down too. And I think that's, that's at the same time, not just as Biden's approval ratings going up, but then you have Dobbs and a lot of reasons to focus on, you know, what those MAGA people really are to extreme, look at what they look at the agenda they have. Uh, and that's making this a choice and not a referendum on 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 the president. Yeah,
2: I mean, let me just let me reflect on that for one second, because I this is something I've been trying to think through in my own head a lot in the last few weeks is that. I think for a, a chunk of the electorate, you know, COVID and shutdown was really, really, really hard. And, yeah. and then inflation, right? Just the last couple of years, yeah. you point out, was scary and hard, and difficult. If you have kids, anybody who had kids getting through COVID was hard. And I think that for many of those voters who may not be as well off, this, this, the burden of getting through the last few years has just been brutal. And they've lost trust in us and our stewardship uh, during that period, despite us doing a good job. And that some of this was the argument Republicans made about shutdown Democrats, right? We know from the exit polls that Biden's economic approval uh in the election was very, very low. He already went into the presidency in kind of a deficit because I think the the blaming us for the shutdowns, I think actually was um a compelling argument for many voters, right? And and I think some of the I think more distance. There's more distance between us and those voters on economic issues than there should be, and given our, the fact that Joe Biden really has made things better. And so I do think that we need to mm-hmm. sort of get, we need to come up with a strategy. There's a piece of, in order to win, I think we got to do one more thing, which is there needs to be a, a track, either a national ad track or when Biden campaigns... That is a simple story about how things are better today. And that, and to explain it, doesn't have to be 87 data points, but there has to be a sense that you, as you pointed out, we've come through it. You know, kids are going back to school without fear of COVID now largely, and we'll see what happens. But you know, that this has been a rough time, but we've gotten through it. And in fact, we have the lowest uninsured rate in history, the lowest unemployment rate, the lowest poverty rate, the lowest, and that a lot has gone right what they've heard is all the things that have gone wrong. Yeah. And and we now have to fill in more information for them. That during this period of struggle, you know, guys, actually things have actually gone pretty well without overdoing it, without doing victory laps and dances, but there's you know, when you're the incumbent party, you're basically graded on did you make things better? And we need not an argument about all the legislation we passed because you can pass legislation that doesn't mean you make things better. We have to focus on the make things better part, whatever that is. and there's a lot of different ways to do it. and I'm agnostic about how to do it. I'm not agnostic about it. it's a strategic need uh, for no, us I... to close out the election. you know, and I, and I think that what I'm a little bit worried about is there's been too much focus on all the legislation that's passed, right. And not enough about how the two or three things, the proof points we need about how things are better, which is really where voters' heads are at right now. I mean, the legislation passing, Matters because it showed that Joe Biden was an effective president, which is why he was elected, right? He was old, but that meant he was experienced and could get things done. And what happened to Joe Biden a year ago was that he started becoming old and just old. And now he's old and experienced again. Right. Yeah. And competent. And that's why his approval rate is going up because he's, you know, the strong leader, weak leader dimension that we talk about in our business, right? He's a strong leader again. And I think the White House has got to not take the bait here and make this election about Joe Biden and his presidency and his legislative accomplishments, but to talk about how we together as, a, as Americans, you know, persevered, showed resilience, got through this thing, and together we built a better country. And, I, and I, this has to become, to yeah. quote the yeah. great Joe Trippi, this has to become about us and not about him. And, and that's going to be really, really important in the close here.
0: Well, and, you know, in and- one of the biggest points, though, is with all this stuff that they, you know, attack on, you know, inflation, The, you know, I'm talking about, you know, just over the top, blaming it all on, on Biden when COVID and Ukraine and had nothing to do with it. Like the, the inflation in the UK is Joe Biden's fault and all across yeah. Europe and the rest of the world, somehow Joe Biden's fault. The reality is there's no country out there that came out stronger and better. Than ours. I mean, the fact is, can you imagine, uh, like, inflation's going everywhere? Can you imagine what our economy would be like with 10 million fewer people employed? You know, sitting in unemployment lines, which is where they were, without the jobs. You know, you know that were created. I mean, it's just it's actually a pretty miraculous story, and I think. You know, that we that we have to articulate that. And, and again, when that's the contrast, which I think people are starting to see because of gas prices going down, I mean, it's easy to get people all inflamed about, you know, at the gas pump. So uh, to pardon a pun, but my point is um, uh, that I think people are starting to get a sense of this on their own, but we need to punch through it. And, yeah. uh, and again, I, I think the one thing I said when I said that they, they keep doing the crazy and we keep doing the work, the one thing I was certain of when I said that the first time was that they would keep doing the crazy. So now we got to make sure people understand that we yep. did do the work and we produced and that we're all better for it.
2: Yeah, look, there are two basic things that happened in the last few months. right? One is the combination of January 6th hearings, Uvalde, mass shootings, ending of Roe, abortion restrictions, reminded the anti maga majority for all the reasons why they didn't vote for them in the last two elections, right? where we won those two elections by six and a half. Point. But the second thing that happened was the gas prices, inflation coming down, has created an opening for the Democrats now to make it far more clear about our, what we've done, what we want to do. It's created an opening for us. It's an opportunity. Future Majority, our friends of Future Majority just released a massive research project showing that there's very little awareness to voters about what we've done over the last two years. And so it just means that I'm optimistic. That with all of the money we're about to spend, we're going to be able to teach people and put information into people's heads that they don't have. Whereas I don't know that any of the things the Republicans are about to talk about, inflation, crime, uh, the border, which are the three things they're making very clear as their focus, that stuff's baked into the cake. I I don't know what more information they can convey about those well, three things to voters, you know, down the end. And so I, I think they're, they're too in busy trouble. scrubbing
0: their, their websites right now. I on know, I know. <laughs> on, trying to raise Trump and abortion. But yeah. uh, you know, so
1: Yeah. Before before we run out of time, guys, I, I do want to get to Joe, I think where you're taking us. You know, we talked a lot about what the closing message should be, but Trump really handed us kind of a gift in the last week with calling calling his candidates the Trump ticket. Right, which is really kind of genius branding for Democrats. But I wanted your take, and I know David Frum had a great piece in The Atlantic about it. We'll link to it. But how did you see both Biden's speech in Philly and Trump's response kind of playing into this?
2: Should I start? Yeah, I think, think, look, I think that the Biden speech was important for a lot of different reasons. I I think, to be frank, I think it was many months late. I mean, Joe Trippi and I have been talking about the need to make their illiberalism you know central you know to our politics. I mean I wrote a piece in may of twenty one saying we needed to make their radicalization a kitchen table issue right in the in the election. And so I think it was important what Joe Biden did for a lot of reasons. And I think it and and i it, it's and it was necessary. And as I said, I think that trump, I, I I don't think people, I think what's been amazing to me about the national media, is how much we've become reflexively discounting Trump's craziness, right? Yeah. That And, you know, they tried to overturn, they tried to actually put somebody into the White House in 2021 who did not win the election. I mean, that's what they did. And it was a national conspiracy involving thousands of Republicans, right? <laughs> Including most of their party leaders, tried to install somebody who didn't win the election into the White House. I mean, it's uh, it, the fact that that happened is like disappeared from our collective consciousness. And I think that there's been this over-discounting of the malevolence and the craziness, as Joe calls it, the crazy of the right, um, in the day-to-day discourse where there's sort of a normalization bias, where people just sort of try to think of them as a normal political party. And what's happened is in the last few weeks and months is that they've prevented that process from taking place because they're throwing out, Rush new crazy every day. And 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 so they're in a, I think they're in kind of a doom loop right now, right? I think they're in a place where, you know, whether it was Trump taking the fifth 440 times, I mean, imagine that, right? That that is like a, something that's unprecedented potentially in all of American history. And that didn't even like break the news barely, because it was one of 87 different things going on with them. And so I think the biggest problem for them is that. You know, they've become a malevolent force, and they can't hide it anymore. You can't put lipstick on this friggin pig and and because they've actually become extremists, and they're being run by extremists. And that extremism is manifesting every day, whether it's about forcing ten year olds to give birth or whatever you know iteration of this extremism. and And I think that's what's changed. This isn't really about Trump anymore. This is about them and how the Republican Party has been overtaken by extremism and extremists, and they're dangerous. And you know what? People get it. And that's yeah. why, to Joe's point, what's critical for us in the close is we've got to reinforce this fundamental contrast between us doing the work, us being good, us being virtuous, us working together with Republicans when we can, welcoming Bill Crystal, Liz Cheney, into our extended family, You know, as Joe's been trying to do with his work on the Lincoln Project to create this pro-democracy coalition, right? You know, that contrast becomes brighter and brighter and more and more salient to voters as we get closer to Election Day. And I don't think there's anything they can do to stop that now. I think the Republicans are in deep shit, right? Yeah. And 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 I think that we have to be smart, though. What's critical is that we have to be highly disciplined now about doing what Joe talked about earlier, which is staying focused on the positive things that we've done because that creates and reinforces this fundamental contrast in a very powerful way. Whereas I think that we no more talk from Joe Biden about MAGA being scary, because that that makes the contrast actually less bright. It actually bl- blurs things a little bit. Believe it or not, I think it's the opposite of what we want to be doing at the end. Um, it's fine that it happened, and he needed to do it. But now we have to talk about, you know, making people's lives better.
0: Well, I think there's two things that I'd respond to. First of all, uh, I thought the most important thing that Biden did in that speech was at the beginning to say clearly, although the press didn't cover it that way, but that clearly that not all Republicans are MAGA Republicans. And then to, 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 to state clearly what was wrong with MAGA Republicans you know, insurrection, violence, the, you know, white supremacy, all those kinds of things. And I think what was imp- the most important thing about doing that, because I've seen this now in, in you know, in, in focus groups and things, that it, it, there's a permission, stru- even a MAGA supporter of, can say to themselves, well, I'm not one of them. That's not who I am. Uh, and and it sort of gives them a, a you know, a window into how they can, how they can move uh, and not, and not uh, continue to support what, what the parties become. And I think that was really important. And then to follow that up with Trump doing the Trump ticket, you know, that, that I think says, you know, makes it so like Simon just said, that maybe, maybe Biden doesn't have to say it anymore. Right. I mean, it's now clear who, you know, what MAGA is, is this who you are? Uh, because if it is, it's the Trump ticket you're voting for. Or look at where the country really is, where it can be if you have a you know people willing to try to work across the aisle with the handful of Republicans who aren't part of the MAGA cult uh, and what we can get done together. I think that's that's that. I think part of that is already starting to bake in that that's the choice, and that's why you're seeing um, these candidates of theirs, uh, you know, in the low 40s, uh, yeah. some in the high 30s, but in trouble. Yeah.
2: So let me let me just throw out something that we can talk about after the election, um, but it's something that Joe you've been talking about for the last several years, which is that I think the way that we end MAGA. And we need to, you know, you can love the center and hate the sin. We can love the Republicans but hate MAGA, right? And we need a we need to help the Republican Party return to being a somewhat recognizable center right Western political party, which it isn't any longer. It's been overtaken by extremists and extremism. Is that I think what we're going to need to do is to build some kind of new coalition, as you've been talking about, um, that allows a seat at our table for Liz Cheney and Bill Kristol and Michael Steele and what we used to call never Trumpers, because I think for a lot of never Trumpers, um, they're like refugees from a country where they know they can't go home anymore. And it's like Ukrainians in Poland who now are waking up and thinking, oh my God, I got to learn Polish because we're going to be here for a while. And I think we have to really try to, and it's why I'm so excited to be on the show with you in general, is that you've been making this argument for two years. And, but I think it has to become operational now and we've got to start thinking about not how to win an election by a point or two but we need to get up to 57 58%. Yeah. we need to pull in the 3 or 4% of the never trumpers and and help them at least be temporary democrats. they may not be democrats forever. and we've got to create space for them. if this was a parliamentary system, we would have liz cheney would have come into our government and we would have absorbed the never trumper party and we would have made her a cabinet official and There would have been a mechanism to absorb this three, four, five percent of the electorate into our coalition. We don't really have a way to do that in our politics, right? It doesn't our our political system. But we need to figure that out. And so, uh, you know, I went on Michael Steele's podcast last week, and we talked about this. And Michael Steele and I, the former RNC chairman, we're on the same team right now. It's kind of an unimaginable. Thing. Plus, it's like I me had, and
0: Stuart Stevenson, Right, you and Stuart Stevenson.
2: <laughs> I had lunch with Bill Crystal last week, and I didn't think in a million years I would be on the same yeah. team with Bill Kristol, right? Yeah. And, and part of it is what you've done, and which is so important, is that you've modeled what the rest of us have to do, which is we have to create space in our family, a place at our table for these courageous Republicans, anti-MAGA Republicans, who've taken on their party and done something that required unbelievable courage, frankly, um, and, to, and to recognize them and salute them and to lay hands on them. And the fact that Joe Biden called Liz Cheney the night that she lost was a really important symbolic step about, yeah. you know, the awareness of how, you know, I went and had lunch with Bill Crystal because in part I wanted to thank him, frankly, and acknowledge his courage. I mean, he's running a $10 million campaign four Republicans talking to Republicans about why they can't vote Republican, right? What an incredible thing he's doing. We've never seen anything like this before. And so I do think, Joe, part of what we should be talking about in this show and in other forums, which is how do we make space for us temporarily, right, for the Never Trumpers to join with us in some kind of grand coalition that's going to make it very clear to Republicans that MAGA can't win. They've had disastrous. The last several elections have been disastrous. If they have another disastrous election, then the Never Trumpers can start saying to Republicans, "Look, this is a political dead end for us. We've got to move beyond MAGA and go back into being something, whatever the hell it's going to be. But we have to excise MAGA out of our party because we need, to your point about permission structure, and this is my final point. I've gone on a long time here, is that I think this is beginning to happen. What you're seeing now." There have been two prominent Republican officials in Texas come out and endorse Lieutenant Governor, our Lieutenant Governor Cannon. You've seen Sununu in New Hampshire saying he's not going to support the Republican nominee if it's one of the MAGA crazies. You've seen Hogan in Maryland come out and say, I'm not supporting my successor. You've seen Republicans in Ohio endorse Ryan. You've seen a Republican, a Republican switched in Colorado. And yep. in every time that happens, the pool, that community gets bigger. And you're less alone, right? It's creating permission structure for others to join you. And it's really important on your show, maybe, and maybe your next show can be with one of these folks to talk about sort of this growing pool of anti-MAGA Republicans and how the water's getting warm, more people are jumping in the pool, right? In order to create a reinforcing sense that, you know, this is an okay space for more people to come to. And that's part of what we have to do also. There's things Democrats can do to help, Say to these folks, if you're going to switch, like Matthew Dowd, like this guy in Colorado, we're going to honor you. Or even if you're not going to switch and you just want to work with us the way you've been doing, you know, you get to come to the White House. You get to have dinner at our table. You get to drink our wine. You get to be part of our (laughs) family. Right. And I think we've got to figure out how to do that in some kind of structural way to build this pro-democracy coalition you've been advocating for. And, Joe, I think we're closer to this now than we've ever been. And, it's good, and we've got to be smart about how we do this and create a real conversation about this kind of unusual arrangement that's sort of outside of our political system, but that we need to do to save our country. Um, and, and, I, and I think that, you know, we're and thanks to your leadership and the leadership of many of your colleagues, I think we're closer to realizing this operationally, not theoretically, right, than we've been before.
0: Well, I'd say two things. Uh, one, you're absolutely right. That the only way to defeat MAGA is to crush—not a barely every time by you know forty-two thousand votes. You know it is to crush them, uh, their candidates twice. You know in in two successive elections. I mean that's been the case of of in, in the past. Uh, not that we've ever had that there's been something like this, but I mean even when when you know uh, in the few elections I can think of where a party was sort of going off the. The edges, it took two defeats for the progressive wing to say, hey, we, we gotta we've gotta uh uh rethink how, how we win elections. And the same on the Republican side, that's happened a couple of times. So it's the only way to to change a, a wing like the MAGA wing that's just gone off the rails is they have to be defeated. And like you said, 57, 58, 60 percent. And, and 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 those kind of margins mean you actually get over the filibuster and things like that, too, in the Senate. So that's what we need to do. And to do that, we have to be able to to be a bigger tent party than we already are and and welcome in a lot of these people that showed a lot of courage very early on and and left the Republican Party. Uh, And some of them are still there praying that somehow... The party you know gets back to where it was that's never going to happen until mag is absolutely defeated uh but i am one of those who believes uh two healthy pro-democracy parties are arguing over policy are good for america and I hope we can get to those <laughs> as i tell Stuart stevens i talk all the time about how it'd be great to you know have those old debates we used to have and old fights <laughs> we used to have but uh this is the one we have to win now and the other thing though uh that I still uh think is th- th- something else we have to to think hard, long and hard about and deal with is the just total imbalance with the the MAGA outrage machine of you know which is what I call it, but Fox Breitbart. Uh, I mean, there's no there is no media pro democracy, you know media you know that's on the other side of the mega, uh, megaphone and outrage machine. And, you know, the, you, you see this with what's going on, um, with the, the other cable networks now that it's, it's just not what they do. Right. Uh, they're not, they're never going to be pro-democracy all the time and against its enemies all the time, but there is plenty of outlets out there that are going to be outraged every day. And, m- You know, putting disinfo out there and uh, and I think, you know, that's something that we need to we also need to figure out long term uh, what we're going to do about that. But uh, but I I also think think
2: we're go ahead. uh, If I can just violently, violently agree with you, is that uh, I talk about it as that we need to be better about being loud and they're very loud and we're not. And there's a lot, lot of ways to be loud. Yeah, and I also think Joe, we haven't really made the transition from a pro broad, from a broadcast political party to a, a digitally based amplified yeah. one. Yeah, and I know we have to wrap. We're getting to the end, but I let's no, but we'll talk about that, that after the election. It's a huge issue, and and particularly with CNN and yeah, CNN no, was and say, Politico. Yeah, go ahead.
0: No, I was going to say that's just so shocking to me. Though I mean that that uh, what you just said because it's true that we didn't. Trans, you know transition from broadcast to 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 digital when you know here remembering you know the dean campaign where you were back then when we were both arguing to the party it's just oh my gosh i can't believe it but anyway yeah we do, we do need to wrap uh, Simon, if you so you have a point you want to finish with, I didn't mean no, to no. It's just you,
2: but... it's just listen. Thank you for your friendship and your leadership and thought leadership and just courage and modeling. You know how we have to approach the gravity of this moment, and, and I think that so much of our politics is being driven by what I call normalcy bias, where yeah people just can't really believe things are as bad as they are because they just haven't been this bad. And um, you know, Joe Biden, I think what he did last week was to create a permission structure to start allowing the national conversation to sort of, you know, come to terms with, you know, what we're really dealing with here. And that's his obligation as president. He has an obligation to to speak truth to the American people. And, you know, and I just want to conclude by saying, listen, I'm, I'm very optimistic, but as Joe keeps saying, you know, we're going to do the work, they're going to do the crazy. But that means we also have to do the work. And, and we have a lot of work to do in the next couple of months to make sure we have the election that we want to have. But I certainly am, would rather be us than them, Alex, in yep. many ways. And uh, and I would rather be us than them morally, and I would rather be us than them politically. I think that it is more likely that we're going to wake up an election, the day after the election, happy than they are. And but that's only if we do the work. So, Joe, thanks for everything.
0: No, th- thanks. Uh, thanks, Simon. And thanks, everybody, for listening to That Trippy Show. We'll be back next week. Please subscribe to That Trippy Show and leave a review on Apple or wherever you listen. And you can always send us a question to that Trippy Show at gmail.com or leave us a question in the review on iTunes. See you next time. Thanks again, Simon. And now, a special motorcycle weather report from Progressive. And today, expect mostly sunny conditions with a high on life that can only come from cruising down the road on two wheels. Kids will wave, dogs will bark, and cyclists in padded shorts will instantly regret their chosen mode of transportation. Whereas you, on the other hand, will look super duper cool. Back to you in the studio.
2: This has been a special motorcycle weather report from Progressive, where every day is a beautiful day to ride with coverage from America's number one motorcycle insurer. Get a quote today and see what you could save.
0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates.